Welcome in. This is episode number 18 of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. I'm Chad Doonan. Very exciting episode for you today. We have a Canadian legend on the show. Ron James is here. Ron James, he has done, I think, nine comedy specials for Just for Laughs. He's had multiple TV shows on CBC. He has toured right across this country. Every big city, every small town, Ron James is on the show. Sean Carson, also on the show. Sean is a friend of mine. He's a hilarious stand-up comedian. He's a producer, uh, and he's a politician, so we'll talk about that as well. But first, I want to give you the rundown. We are a couple of weeks out now from the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame Festival Week. It was three amazing shows. When I say amazing, these shows were unbelievable. Uh, The Comedy Bar hosted the first night. The new Comedy Bar in Toronto hosted our celebration of sketch. Featured Don Ferguson, Jessica Holmes, all kinds of great sketch comedians. We honored the likes of Lorne Michaels. Unbelievable. Pepe at Aylesworth also. Their children were there to to accept awards. What what a great, unbelievable night. Night two was the celebration of stand-up. That was at a sold-out Yuck Yucks downtown Toronto. Kenny Robinson was unbelievable that night. Uh, Spenny was there. John Doerr was unbelievable. John Doerr, uh, stand-up set, blew me away. Mark Breslin, uh, he was the final speaker of the night, accepting his award, and Jim Carrey did a nice tribute to him uh, that he sent via video. The final night was at the Imperial Ballroom at the Royal York in Toronto. It was our gala night. Uh, It was amazing as well. Uh, Gowan played. uh, So many great stand-ups and acts were there as well. Martha Chavez was on stage. She hosted the the, uh, Yuck Yucks as well. Great, great event. Thanks to everybody who who joined us. Uh, Who bought tickets, who performed, who accepted awards, who gave awards. What a great week for the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame. Uh, But we're going to keep rolling here with the podcast, even though we've done our inductions, we're we're just going to roll up and amp up for next year because it's going to get bigger and better for the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame. Uh, Like I said earlier, my first guest is Mr. Sean Carson. Sean Carson is a stand-up comedian. He's a producer of, of multiple comedy shows. He is the creator of Off the Rails, which has a big show December 18th at that new comedy bar I mentioned in Toronto. Comedybar.ca is where to get tickets. It is December 18th. There are two tapings. This is going to be a taping uh, uh, for his show that Heist Productions is doing. Uh, So check it out. Sean is also a member of the Rhinoceros Party, which I didn't know a ton about. But Sean gave me the lowdown on what the Rhinoceros Party is all about. He is currently running in an election that is trying to break some records. So, so check it out. Here it is. My interview with Sean Carson. The, the main thing I want to know about is, uh, is the Rhinoceros Party and your involvement with that. I, I was doing a little research, found a quote, and it said, the quote is, um, if, you, if you're to throw your vote away, throw it over here. That was a cl- quote on their, on their website. Um, that was attributed to you, I think, um, which I which I loved. For people that don't know, I'm not like a political person per se. What is the Rhinoceros Party? So it's basically like a joke uh, protest party. Uh, it's I, I guess every kind of rhinoceros probably has their own view of what it is and what it's supposed to be. Uh, 
I think it's like uh, kind of a, a forum for us to say whatever we want and not have any repercussions. So we can kind of like uh, have the the dialogue that maybe we think should be being had, but is not, you know what I mean? But uh, also I like to think that it's like, I don't know, Canadian politics is so boring uh, just in general that it's kind of a way to engage people in the process a little bit by like having jokes and uh, just kind of thinking about politics at all, uh, which most people I think try to avoid at all costs, so. Are you still involved in the Rhinoceros Party? Are you still like plan on running for them in the future? Yeah, I'm actually, so I've run twice now. Um, and uh, I'm actually running in a by-election right now, but as, okay. an, as an independent. So our leader, Sebastian Co-Rhino, our glorious dealer, um, he uh, has decided that he wants to uh, break the record for the longest ballot in Canadian politics history. So I love this. He is running uh, in Mississauga Lakeshore, and he's gotten a bunch of former rhinoceros candidates to also run. Uh, so right now, I think there's 40 candidates in this by election, and I'm one of the candidates. So. so only one person can run under the rhinoceros umbrella. And are, is that why you're all running as, or you're running as an independent? That's right. Yeah. What what did the other has the other uh, candidates in that uh, riding have they voiced anything concerns or anything about kind of loading the ballot like that? I haven't heard. Uh, I haven't heard anything. I know there's been a few articles written about it, but more just kind of like in jest, you know, like in silly. Because I mean, I fully plan on getting zero votes. Um, I would imagine most of us will get. You know, people who want to vote will still find their party and vote for their party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the turnout right. is just kind of going to make the job of the people working at the polls a little <laughs> more difficult. A little harder. This is kind of the second iteration of the rhinoceros party. I think there was there was like a version in the early nineties, uh, and then I think it was Francois Gord who brought it back mid two thousands. Do you do you know anything about like the history of the party, or can you? Uh, yeah, like I don't know how far back it goes. Like I know I remember seeing some videos from like. I think it was the 80s some like old hippies like just being uh really funny guys i don't but then i know that at some point the government said that you needed to i think pay like a thousand dollars to be a registered party or something like that uh right. and when the party kind of dissolved you know because uh there's not a lot of money coming in uh or going out for that matter <laughs> um so when that was instituted, I think that's when the party kind of dissolved a bit and then they got rid of that and then the party came back as uh, to my knowledge, that's what it is. Okay. And did you jump on kind of like right away when it came back? No, I, um, actually it's funny. I forget what election it would have been, I guess three elections ago, I, uh, I didn't like anybody that was, uh, running. Like I just didn't know who to vote for or who I want to vote for <laughs> excuse me and um I uh so I went in and I saw the rhino on the ballot and I was like oh I'm gonna vote for the rhino party what the hell and then I wrote a joke about it and uh I did it at a show at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa actually and after the show a girl came up and she's like I work for the rhino party here's a pin it's like oh uh, thank you and she's like I'm gonna tell our leader about you uh, and then she came to another show and she's like, I told our leader about you. Here's his card. He wants you to run. 
And then in the next election, I reached out and ran. And then I've run twice since then. That's amazing. You've ran both times in Toronto? Yeah, one was uh, Toronto Centre and the other was Etobicoke Lakeshore. I love this. I I love everything about this. And the story of just like kind of discovering the Rhino Party too is is a cool, using using comedy to do that. Um, You've done done stand-up, started in Ottawa, right? Um, then went to Toronto, now in Montreal. Do you find a difference in those three cities on how not only the stand-up community works, but how the crowds are a difference between the three? Because recently I've been kind of doing all three and I and I do notice like slight differences in, in the different comedy communities. Yeah, I'm still kind of figuring it out too. But yeah, I do notice differences for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What What is like, uh, what is the crowd difference? Can you think of it? mainly like in like what they respond to you mean yeah 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 yeah. in in response i noticed uh when i first moved from toronto to montreal i was doing like it was also fresh off of covid so like there was a lot of like i'm depressed and i got this baby and we're all depressed you know what i mean like it was yeah uh, it was dark a lot of it was dark and uh it was it works in Toronto because I feel like a lot of people are kind of there's a like cloud that hangs over the city you know everyone's working three jobs and paying too much for a basement or whatever you know mm-hmm. it's a lot of stress in Toronto um, and so when I moved to Montreal I was doing that material and they weren't really responding well to it and I was like oh yeah it's because people here are happy you know what I mean mm-hmm. they're like here to enjoy themselves they want to like come out and uh, and they just seem to respond better to lighter material here i don't know i'm still figuring that out but yeah no it's a funny thing i i actually i ask a lot of people about this and i asked ron james about it and he said do you swear a lot in your act i'm like i don't swear a crazy amount but i do i do swear and he's like he finds that that's jarring for a montreal audience sometimes the swear word like jars them and he's like if you swear less you might get a better reaction or like you know uh, I thought that was interesting. He says it's just not part, like saying the F word and every, it just isn't part of that. And I was like, I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it too. Um, that is interesting, yeah. Yeah. Try that. You did mention that you're a dad. How how is being, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father too. I have a seven-year-old. Um, how has that changed your stand-up? Uh, well, I definitely wrote some, some material about it. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, I don't know. It, it's given me something to write about for sure. Um, it also is like, I don't get to hang out like I used to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, so I'm kind of just like, go out, do the show, come home. I feel like a pull to come back all the time. So I don't get the socializing that I that I used to get. I kind of miss that. But uh, certainly in terms of material, I've written a lot about it. Um, and it also, it's like, I don't know there's something I mean my my daughter's almost two now so like I inherently have gotten sillier because I'm so used to being with her and being silly you know as a with a with a kid and I think that may have spilled over a little bit into some of the joke writing too which which I like I I would like to be sillier in general so I I really like those comics who who are able to be silly yeah like nonsensical puns stuff yeah. like that you know when somebody when somebody nails a really good one we talked yeah, about Aaron. Like, yeah yeah we, we there's there's so, so many comics that that like base their acts off, off puns like that and i'm always i'm always blown away by their 
kind of silliness and childlike play on stage. Yeah, yeah, totally. I do want to talk about, so we met at JFL. Um, I, Just for last was probably one of the best comedy weeks of my life. <laughs> um, what, what was that experience like for you? I know we, we hung out a lot that week, but uh, being in the city, you lived in the city, um, you know, being around, we, we were at the Comedy Pro specifically that that conference. Uh, just your general impressions of, of Just for Laughs. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had never been to the festival at all. Um, like, I never went to watch or anything. I had, we'd only been in the city for a few months too. So it was like, I didn't even really know the city that well. Um, mm. But it was very surreal. Like, I still kind of think back to it and uh, kind of don't believe that it happened like I applied as like a wimp because I saw the they had extended a deadline or something and I was like oh I could throw together something for and it was again it's I mine's an improvised stand-up show so I didn't have to write a script or anything like you guys put a lot of work into your thing you know? <laughs> I've been running the show for a long time but in terms of like a pitch you know I didn't um so I didn't really expect to get it so then when I got it, just that was surreal to have to get the pass and to be able to go and take part and all the, and then being there, meeting everybody that we got to meet and taking part in the conference. And it really was overwhelming how, how much I learned in such a short period of time. But uh, yeah, it was super valuable. And now I'm kind of like, I'm going to go back, I think every year, like even if yeah. I, I can see why there's value in buying those industry passes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, totally. Your pitch was so interesting to me because you you didn't do have anything flashy. It was just like you and a mic, which I think was was done on purpose. But you told the story of of what your show is and the history of it so well, and you were so confident in your project. I was actually blown away by by your pitch. Um, you know, right off the top. Like, I remember we went to the meeting before the morning before and we were supposed to go through all the tech stuff. And you're like, I have no tech stuff. And they're like, okay, you can leave. (laughs) And and maybe people in their head were like, oh, he has no, he has no visuals or anything. But I mean, you, you were, you, you know, your show so well, right. That you were able to really, I think, blow some judges away and people in the room away about, about your, your show. So no question there, by the way, just, just saying that in general. (laughs) Uh, um, so off the rails was the show you were pitching you started this show in in ottawa then you moved to toronto still doing it in toronto i believe is it still like the last saturday of every month is that's what or does it it yeah i think it will be we right now so um the guys and you probably from heist films yep yeah so they uh, approached me after the pitch and said they're interested in, in shooting it and putting together like a teaser uh, to try and shop around. So we're actually um, December Sunday, December 18th at Comedy Bar East. So Comedy Bar now has a new uh, location in the East End. We're, um, we're going to be filming it so that we're going to do two shows, the 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. on uh, the 18th. Okay, awesome. And uh, yeah, we're going to be filming that and trying to put together like a like a trailer. So a- after December, I think we'll go back probably to that last Saturday of the month, hopefully. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, December we got we got that one. So have you been to the new comedy bar yet? I have. I stopped in and checked it out. Yeah, I haven't actually been to a show there, but it's beautiful. Like the the room and uh, it's yeah, really nice. Yeah, 
it, it, it's awesome. We actually filmed um, our celebration of sketch comedy there for the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame two weeks ago. Cool. Um, it, it was great. We had uh, Jessica Holmes was on the show and 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 tons of great uh, sketch, sketch comics from Second City. And we honored Lauren Michaels. It was really cool. A really cool venue that's going to look awesome on camera like um you know for me just being able to see some of the some of the shots that that we got uh doing that show your show is going to look look great on 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 film um when i walked in i was like oh this is the place for sure yeah does uh does your show is it does it have some backstage elements well i guess first let's let people that don't know off the rails like what is the concept of off the rails so it's pretty basic um, concept. It's uh, each comic goes up, they do about two or three minutes of written material. And then uh, the host is in the audience with a wireless mic and they take topics from the audience and then the comedian makes up their act based on those topics. So it's um, improvised stand up basically. And uh, it's fun to have the connection between the audience and the comic with that wireless mic. So they're actually kind of communicating. But um, then the other element of the show is there's gonna be a green room portion. So there'll be cameras in the green room kind of recording the comedians behind the scenes, talking to one another and interacting. And then we'll take the highlights from the live show and mix that in with behind the scenes stuff. And uh, that in essence will make up the, the television show. Do the comics get time to work on it on, on their short set, like once they get the suggestion, or is no, it immediate? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, that, it's very much adrenaline based. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's what fuels the comics. Is uh, yeah, it's not for everybody. That's for sure. No, no. Um, I like that. I'm I when I do stand up, I like mayhem. Like I like chaos when i'm when i do it like i like when somebody um who's sitting front row center in the middle of my set gets up and has to go to the washroom and like stands up right in front of me and stuff like that like i enjoy things like that or when somebody points something out not like heckling where it's constant or everything but like those those interactions are, are always fun for me so so this show is exciting for me um who, who do you have on the lineup for that that taping um for the taping we have um Chris Robinson. Yep. Uh, Tamara Siobhan, Rebecca Reeds, and Chris Locke. Just a uh loaded lineup of all stars. That's that's oh, awesome. I did yeah. uh Yuck Yucks with Chris Robinson two weeks ago in in Ottawa. He, he killed it. And Chris Locke, he was he was in Ottawa a few weeks ago as well. I think he was doing a taping of of some kind. Uh, but uh he he's incredible. Yeah, and Rebecca Reeds, I've seen her in Toronto as well. Unbelievable. So yeah, what what a great great uh, lineup you have. You you also do the Montreal Mayhem. Oh, first, is there any is there any plans on bringing off the rails to Montreal where you live? I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I definitely want to get through this taping, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I have thought about doing it here and maybe even doing it in Ottawa too. Like uh, if I'm going to do it in more than one place. Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought about it. Yeah. What? What venue did you used to run in Ottawa when you did it? Well, Ottawa, we kind of moved around a bit. The very first uh, venue was the Royal Oak at Bank in Gloucester. Okay, yeah. Uh, it, it was okay. The first few ones were pretty good, but it, the room, it was like the ceilings didn't go to the wall. So if the rest of the bar was full and ours was kind of light, then the sound bled over. So mm-hmm. 
eventually it, uh, we kind of had to move it, but, um, and then we did it at Live on Algen for a bit. We had a version at Yuck Yucks for a bit. And then we kind of stopped doing the off the rails format for a while. And I ran uh, the show at the Wellington Eatery for, that was just like a show. Yep. Weekly show. And then we started back up in Toronto. So we kind of jumped around a little bit in Ottawa. Tell me about the, the Montreal Mayhem, another show you run. I think it's um, Thursdays in Montreal. Uh, straight stand-up, I, I believe it's not like a formatted show like 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 Off the Rails. Is that more just like, hey, I want to do more comedy. Let's let's book my friends and, and hang out? Kind of, yeah. It's more just for stage time. Uh, it's mostly why I run shows. It's just so I can do more spots. Uh, but uh, the Third Floor Comedy Club, it's a new comedy club. And, right. Uh, and uh, it's a really nice space and they're like trying to build and, and grow. And uh, so I thought I'd help them uh, run it by running a show there. And uh, the idea is it's like a longer format. So people are doing 10 to 15 minute sets. So they got a little bit more time to stretch out. Uh, it's loose. The idea is it's kind of a loose, people are trying stuff out and uh, yeah, it's still growing. It's still building, but uh, I'm figuring out how to market it and all that. Cause I don't really have a network here. so. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to build it up but uh yeah it's more just like a workout room for you know semi-pro comics yeah, yeah I was gonna say thanks a lot Sean for for coming on and for everything you do for stand-up comedy and in oh. three cities and your uh and your show I'm very excited I'm very excited for off the rails I was actually talking to to those guys we just had a zoom call to catch up uh yeah. a few weeks ago and uh the the production uh team you're going to use heist um yeah production and uh they were they were super pumped and they got me super pumped about it so uh, oh they're the best yeah yeah no they're the best and they're doing a lot of cool stuff in a lot of different different spaces too so so that was cool so um yeah i appreciate i appreciate you taking the time to chat with me yeah thanks chad i really appreciate it man once again many thanks to sean carson for coming on the show that was super interesting about the rhinoceros party i didn't i didn't know uh much about it. i've heard about it but i didn't know much about it so i love that that sean uh gave me the lowdown on the rhinoceros party and that he is currently running in uh an election where they're trying to make the longest ballot in canadian history which is which is super cool um also uh december 18th is those two tapings for his off the rails special uh it's at the comedy bar at 2800 danforth in toronto 7 p.m 9 p.m show comedybar.ca still tickets available uh but they're gonna go fast this is a very fun show and like i said in the in the pod when talking to sean an absolutely loaded lineup okay next up i have a truly canadian legend Ron James is on the show. Uh, Ron is a stand-up comedian. Ron has had multiple specials. He's starred in TV shows Black Fly and Made in Canada. And of course, he had the Ron James show that ran from 2009 to 2014 on CBC. Uh, Ron has a book out. It's called All Over the Map, Ramblings and Ruminations from the Canadian Road. Uh, the paperback just came out last week. Uh, Ron, he was an absolute delight to talk to. Ron and I spoke for about two hours 
about all things comedy, about some of his friends, his legends, some of the people that were inducted into the Hall of Fame a couple weeks ago, and Canada. Ron has a, a great love for this country, and I think it really showed in this podcast. Here it is, my interview with the great, the legend, Ron James. Can you talk about the first time maybe you met or saw Mike McDonald perform? Uh, I will never, ever forget it. Uh, it was incendiary and it's burned into the retina of memory. I wrote about him in my book, actually. Uh, he, uh, it was at Yuck Yucks on Bay Street in 1980. And uh, I recall him, uh, I think he was still, I think he had just broken in his closer with the guitar bit in the bedroom and the right. father yelling at him and but also in terms of being a social satirist and on top of that game he was incredible and fearless and owned the stage he was the personification of the art form in those days the 80s and it's it's tragic and bitter you know it's tragic that he didn't he didn't get the fame he's his talent so justifiably deserved. I did a, I did a guest spot too on his uh, Mosquito Lake years ago. Mm -hmm. In the days I was an actor, he was kind. And, uh, but when I started in standup, uh, I'd had about two years in and I'd finally got invited to play Rumors Comedy Club in Winnipeg, which uh, at at that point in time was the most successful independent club in the country. It wasn't a franchise. There was one and you had to do two weeks and you had to do 50 minutes. You got mm -hmm. pissed off if you did 45, had to be 50. And they wanted an act, you know, they didn't want that extra 15 minutes being justified because you were riffing with the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I had Mike McDonald. He was coming in after me. And uh, he, uh, I asked him to watch my set and give me some notes. Brave move. And I'd hear this laugh from the back of the audience. <laughs> kind of like the penguin. I'm not doing him justice. <laughs> but I was doing a bit on Mary and Joseph in those days and that, you know, Joseph is away in Hebron building a subdivision, comes back, finds out that God was with his wife. <laughs> and God says, don't worry, Joseph, you get to raise him. Oh, bonus. No pressure there, God. Jesus, clean up your room. No, you're not my real father. <laughs> so that seemed to tickle his funny bone somehow. And I haven't done the piece in years and years, but he said, expand it. He gave me two hours of notes and uh, don't kid yourself. I mean, it's not like the Mormon tabernacle choir backed them up. Uh, you know, I bled a bit. His notes were obsidian sharp mm. and to take the time, two hours to talk to a greenhorn whose first foray in country happened to be at Rumors, a club that really at that point in time still favored Americans. It was instrumental in um, 
instilling confidence in me. And I've always tried to play Mike's note forward if any young comedian ever told I don't know how many do because everyone thinks they've got the answer. <laughs> but I came to the calling with such humility because I'd come from Second City. Right. And I knew that to make the turn from improv to stand up in a solo spot, that was a big turn. People mm -hmm. think that it's an easy transition, but it's not. And uh, so, yeah, he was, he was very very important uh, in terms of a standard to aspire to when I started. Yeah, I've course, heard. You know, you know, and even though he battled uh, his own demons and was diagnosed with bipolar and had his addiction issues years ago, uh, I admired him so much because he kept moiling for comedy gold regardless. He just kept at it and he was such a student of the form uh yeah i i have nothing but respect for him to this day i know i competed in in the summer the mike mcdonald summer yuck yucks comedy competition so uh an honor that they they named the the, the big no, summer yeah Good. in in ottawa uh, yuck yucks ottawa it, it's named after him and uh well howie and, is uh howie is a gentleman funny you'd bring that up i was I was thinking on doing a um, a benefit, a Christmas benefit there in December. I just got to see if my calendar will um, open up. Uh, I haven't played a club in, geez, 20 years. Wow. So, Ron, the new sidebar, the new Yuck Yucks there is amazing. Is it? Nice. Oh, the West End, they have a West End Yuck Yucks. I did it. I did the weekend last weekend. Um, yeah. and it was great, but it is packed every night. Is it big audiences? Yeah, it's awesome. It's How been are really audiences responsive, oh right? Oh, yeah. yeah I always heard that he ran the best club and had the best reputation of so many in the industry. And he's uh yeah, so I should I should yeah. get back to him. I just saw that he texted me yesterday. So uh but yeah. you know, when you look at that, yucks, I mean Norm McDonald, Mike McDonald, and Jeremy Hotz. Mm, yeah and tom green too i guess started there didn't he yeah and tom green's back there all the time now too so yeah no that yucks has, has produced a, a lot of a lot of great comics let's let's talk about norm mcdonald also uh in duck i've heard some great norm stories on the show from people that that knew him the best my favorite one is probably that his brother got him a job uh before he got into stand-up at the cbc and uh norm decided to go to the interview on acid um so that was kind of norm's uh way of saying this isn't for me but what an incredible talent norm mcdonald was fearless. unbelievable absolutely fearless and once again <laughs> still delivering in the 11 years that he was fighting cancer mm -hmm. still stepping up in front of the mic still walking into the solo spot and actualizing his calling that's remarkable. I never worked with the guy. Um, I saw him in passing at JFL, but I, you know, cause I wasn't a yucks comic. I started at the laugh resort and I came to the game late. 
um, at the age of 36. I came after three years in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I went down there as an actor. They created a show at Second City called My Talk Show. Deb McGrath and Linda Cash did that. And they sold it to Imagine TV. And Andrew was the executive producer who's nominated this weekend. Yep. And because my fundamental years uh, in comedy were at Second City, uh, I naturally gravitated toward the acting side of comedy, comedic actors. And, you know, did tons of commercials as we all do and went down there for, for that. Uh, but then coming back, I, um, I made the shift to stand up after writing a one man show called Up and Down in Shaky Town, One Man's Journey Through the California Dream. And then I took the best eight minutes from that and got on at the Laugh Resort but one comedian who I used to watch there a lot and always was always mesmerized by his, <laughs> his rebel defiance and absolutely pugnacious delivery. I watched him slice and dice a room full of shoe salesmen one night. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know yet how to break the fourth wall and jettison my set. I was still locked into the set, you know? Yeah. And it was Tim Steves, God bless him. Oh, right. And, yeah. Who we just uh, lost last yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah, and ironically, you know, I, I said to him uh, at Erwin Barker's memorial service, I said to Tim, I thanked him. I said, geez, my mentors were 12 years my junior. Hmm. And they were. Yeah. Right? He was a real warrior, that guy. And when he walked into a room, uh, I mean, his personality, it was just so effusive. He was just so, give me the entire cake, man. And he, he, he uh, was doing warm-up for the Rita McNeil show. Him and Mark Farrell were doing warm-up. And Farrell hated the gig. And, you know, Tim tolerated it, I guess. But, you know, he'd always, you know, hang out with the band and have a toke. And so they were looking for somebody. He said, Ronnie can do that. And so I jumped into the deep end on the Rita McNeil show, man. It was five hours to that shoot. All those old people in the audience <laughs> throwing tea bags and getting them singing World War II songs. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Sandra Fair, Sandra Fair, who has also passed away, was married to Yvonne mm -hmm. Fitzon and was at the CBC at the time. I was doing bits of Shaky Town and she said, we're going to do that. And so because Tim recommended me to do warm up on the Rita McNeil show, Sandra Fair saw me. And then I ended up doing Shaky Town as the first 90 minute special on the Comedy Network in its inaugural season. It was oh, me, amazing. Jeremy Hotz, and Russell Peters got specials that year. Yeah. So, but that's one of the things with Canada. And I remember it was one of the things that Tim said too. We were sitting around talking one night. I think we were judging a contest at, uh, the Laugh Resort, aspiring young comics, of which one was Nathan McIntosh, who actually won it, and who I'm working with next week for the second season of his series, Trapped. Shoot right, yeah. Nova Scotia for five TV. Yeah, it's, I love when these circles open and close, open and close. Yeah. But I remember somebody asking about, you know, stand-up versus improv and things. And, you know, uh, uh, stand-up gets this bad rap that it's, a carnivore's arena, which couldn't be further from the truth. I find it very supportive in Canada. I always did. I mean, everybody's hoping to land a gig, a corporate gig, or you know, every now and then you'll rustle up a gig here and there. Mm -hmm. But you bring your pals along and 
I never found it to be backstabbing. You know, I found Second City, quite frankly, to be more political than the politics I ever experienced at the Laugh Resort. Because right, Second yeah, City yeah. was as instrumental as it was in giving me a sense of standards, right? Because mm. SCTV was on the air at the time that I was on that stage. So everything you wanted to aspire to was seen weekly. Pretty hard to develop your craft and anonymity is crucial, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and Ale Andrew Alexander, of course, theatrical director of Second City. And he was the, uh, he was the artistic, uh, he was the owner. We would have these directors come up from Chicago. You know, uh, uh, Michael Gelman uh, actually ended up in Canada. He was my first director. Then Sheldon Patinkin came up, one of the originators of the form in Chicago. And then Bernie Solins, the guy who who was one of the creators of SCTV and uh, one of the deities, really, of, uh, of Second City in its inception in Chicago, along with, uh, you know, Del Close and these people whose names are synonymous with the foundation of an institution that really affected North American comedy for the last 50 years. I mean, yeah. post-war comedy in America literally was Second City. So many Gosh, great names. Came yeah, came oh, out of there, too. Like, it's, yeah, it's wild. I, two of them, Catherine O'Hara, Dan Aykroyd, both being inducted. Um, in the coming do, up? Uh, do, do, you, do you have any, did you run into Catherine or, or Dan at all in your, your time at uh, Second I, City? I saw Dan uh, when I gave Mike, uh, I gave Mike Myers his star in the Walk of Fame in 2003. Okay. Uh, and Aykroyd was there that night. That's the time I met him. And then I met him again, uh, never professionally though. I met him again at um, uh, Famous People Players uh, being inaugurated. And Catherine, of course, uh, I saw her at the, uh, I hadn't seen her in years. I saw her at the SCTV reunion at the right. Open Theater five okay. years ago. So I opened for them. And um that was a rush, man. 2,500 Torontonians come to cheer on their home, home team. Oh, my team. God. It was electric. Scorsese, Marty Short was there, right? Was Marty yeah. Short? Oh, yeah, everybody yeah, was they there. Were all Joe, there. Marty, Joe, Marty, Catherine, uh, Rick Moranis, Dave Thomas, uh, and Andrea Martin. Okay. It was wonderful. It, yeah. was a really, uh, oh, it was a really beautiful evening. Oh, wow. Really what, what experience opening opening for them. That must have been amazing. Yeah, it was. It, it, it was. And, uh, you know, um, as I said in the book, uh, ironically, the guy who asked me to open was the guy that gave me my pink slip at Second City uh, when I got the boot, right? It was Andrew. And I oh. used to have a saying at Second City, get, get fired, get famous. Well, you know, I stayed in Canada, so that's not the case, but I did that for free north of the tree line. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. So, so uh, what I saw her there that night and, uh, oh, Eugene, of course. The, yeah. The, I mean, that guy's a genius, man. Yeah, unbelievable. He's a genius. I mean, it's, I mean, the stories of him are legion, uh, how he'd write these scripts for SCTV. I was just out with, uh, a director, a buddy of mine, Brad Turner, we just had dinner in Halifax. He's down here shooting the film. And uh, he, uh, he was the uh, floor director on SCTV. It was, it was his first major gig. 
And um, he was just telling me stories how Eugene would come in with a script that just absolutely threaded the needle every single time. Mm. And he was generous. He would give people the roles and such, you know. And, you know, it wasn't about, but it, one of the great adages of Second City is if you think more about the person you're in the scene with than yourself being funny, the scene is better. So it really taught me how to honor the integrity of the scene which right. has voted very well uh, over the last few years when I've, I've shot anything, particularly Nathan's wonderful little project called Trapped. Uh, it's great. It's on mm -hmm. five TV and uh, geez, I had a riot doing it. And um, then we shot another one last week. My own uh, uh, Thomas Conway, uh, a young comedy writer pitched Lynn Harvey uh, and I, the idea and uh I'd worked with Lynn and all my uh, wonderful producer. Uh, she did all my specials and the series. And so it's nice, you know, we're all back together. Jonathan Torrance is directing. He really knows his He's stuff. He's great. And, yeah. Oh, geez. That guy gets it, man. Yeah. He's got all this language too. <laughs> the crew knows him. It's like they work symbiotically. It's uh, all this great shorthand. So look, after 42 years in the game, uh, it's so nice to have the opportunity to be still mining the funny mm, yeah you know to going after it, it yeah it never it doesn't it doesn't stop it's the life force it's what keeps you going i love it and i love the just the canadian aspect of it it seems like such a tight-knit community people it helping is. people you talk about Eugene and and what he does never like thinking of himself in a, in a in a scene but that seems across the board in many ways uh, I would agree yeah I would agree the... you can you look I'll give you an example this is not to say I don't know if it's but, you know people bemoan the lack of star system in Canada mm -hmm. right yeah the trajectory we're talking about this before we went you know before you turned on on the button here and we started talking but uh you know the the lack of trajectory from a successful club comic to be your television series to see your movies right mm -hmm. uh, and of course saturday night live was always the proving ground for that but there's an awful lot of people who were on snl who were wandering comedy's purgatory too yep Absolutely. Not everybody caught lightning in a bottle on that show. No. And one of the nicest things about Canada, I think, <laughs> is um, you um, you don't have as far to fall. If, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's this people bemoan that it's this plateau that you're always hitting your head on the ceiling. And, uh, you know, at 60, sneaking up on 65, I'm thinking, yeah. No, I'm 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 a little tired of of humping of humping my suitcase into a Best Western on the prairies when it's minus forty on a Thursday night. Yeah, but you know the theater's going to be full. People will be laughing. You'll be able to make sense of the chaos of the world on your own terms. And eight hundred people laughing in Canada sounds exactly the same as eight hundred people laughing in Las Vegas when it's warm. Yeah, the money might not be so great. And uh, we might be patronized 
a little too excessively by the intelligentsia and the media, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, you know, <laughs> there's elements of Toronto showbiz that are just such shameless star fuckers, yeah. right? I mean, you know, you see that they're, you know, I mean, you know, Doran Tiff, they throw their grandmother under a bus to put a foot in the red carpet. I don't know what Drew Barrymore to Starbucks <laughs> goes to show how much I know celebrities. But you know. uh, yeah. anyway, I, uh, I love I love the fact that you can just work. I mean, it's and, you know, the experience I had on my series, both of them. Yeah, they kind of didn't live up to expectations. But every day I walked into the writing room on the Ron James show, I laughed my arse off. Mm, yeah. There was a good bunch of people. You know, we had, oh, my goodness, Scott Montgomery, Paul Pogue, Gary Campbell was the, uh, the head writer, uh, Mark DeAngelis, Davey McKenzie was there for a while. We had Pete Zedlacker. And uh, we had uh, Anna Teresa, Rebecca Kohler, uh, Teresa Pavlinek. Uh, Gary uh, Pearson, people came and went and everybody was, everybody felt uh, encouraged and uh, there was no politics. I put a short time in on this hour is 22 minutes and it definitely wasn't for me. And it was years ago. I mean, it's, it has changed and, mm -hmm. and evolved into less uh, a humilitorium which is what they call those Wednesday writing sessions. Yeah. You literally yeah. went in. I just thought, I don't know how they managed to do it, but you literally went in on a Monday morning, came up with ideas and wrote for 48 hours straight. And They're then, doing the same thing at SNL every time, right? Like a lot yeah. of those shows have that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. Oh boy. I, yeah. Not for me. I mean, don't they write for, don't they write all night on Saturday Night Live? All night. Yeah. I think they start I Tuesday. Read, uh, yeah. I just read an interview in The Guardian with Rich Hall. I guess he's got a one-man show now and he's talking about his Saturday Night Live days and he mentioned that. And um, it's, a, uh, it's a crucible, bro. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah. sure you come out of there with wicked chops if your psyche survives it. Yeah, I, I've talked to lots of uh, people on the show who are writers and stuff. Yeah, that's basically what they're saying is it is the absolute, I, I don't know if proving ground's the right word. It's the absolute uh, chopping block for, for some people. I heard a great story talking about Canadians and kind of that unselfishness that we have in, in our comedy and that Eugene Levy is. I, I had Jim Belushi on the show and he talked about his first episode of being on SNL was John Candy's hosting and John Candy came to him before the show and he's like what do you want to do this week and Jim Belushi was just John's brother at that point and Jim still takes that to us to this day to with him is that you know John Candy was the big star who was coming in to host and he's asking me a first time uh, cast member what I wanted to do that week on on the show which was John Candy uh you know, just he was the personification of generosity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that he and Eugene were good buddies, and I never knew them well. You know, and when I'd go up to do my uh, guest spots on uh, SCTV, they'd ask you from main stage, right? So mm -hmm. you know, you're you're 
you're late for your show on main stage because you were working with SCTV. So, you know, nobody look at you. Everybody was giving yeah. you a cold shoulder. Was, yeah, yeah. Sucked. <laughs> but uh, they were such, you know, both so generous, both so talented. And um, isn't that a wonderful story? Um, uh, his daughter is uh, just uh, just wonderful. I, I've oh, Jen's she, great. Yeah, 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 she's lovely. Yeah, I've met her. She's yeah, the nicest, the nicest person. And yeah, no, just 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 like them too. It's it's great. Um, I, I want to touch on a few more of the inductees this year um, before I let you go. Bruce Hills and Andy Nullman and Just for Laughs um, as as a whole. Uh, I know you've performed at Just for Laughs. I ten times. Have you been? Is that uh, I'm not quite sure. It's been ten, but I think it's closer to seven. Okay. Uh, they asked me to write a one-man show in 2003. And I wrote a show called The Road Between My Ears. Slock <laughs> uh, Klim Q, George Anthony, and Fred Nicolaitis were in the audience at the time. Mm. And they said, we want you to do this as a one-hour special. Okay. And thanks to Bruce Hills and Andy Nullman, uh, which once again, it's doors open and you walk through. Uh, Bruce gave me uh, a good review in his end of the fest speech. And uh, I got good reviews in the um, Montreal Gazette. And uh, so they asked me that and I shot that special in the November of 2003. No, in 2004, it came on in 2005. I think it did almost 600,000 viewers. Mm. Yeah. And every year after that, for 14 years, I had a New Year special. So they were instrumental in, uh, and uh, Andy is a real mensch. And look, JFL was this shining grail. And it was, it was the it was the goal of every young comedian to go there and get recognized, right? Mm -hmm. Which, in my later years, I realize now, I was putting the cart before the horse. I was so worried about what I would get out of it, rather than what I would do. Mm. Yeah. Rather than the work. Okay. You wanted to catch lightning in a bottle and have some carcinogenically tanned manager from Los Angeles. There's lots you know, of them there. There are a lot of them there. <laughs> you know, they're walking with some wonder kid in a wedge. Yeah. And uh, who's this guy? Who's, who's this, who's this I've, kid this week? I always say uh, at JFL, I, uh, the hands I shake at JFL are the smoothest hands you'll ever <laughs> shake. Those guys have used so much hand cream. It's unbelievable. The yeah. smoothest hands. That's yeah, well said. Yeah. Yes. They are. Uh, yeah, they are a slippery breed, bro. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, one of the things that always stood out for me, uh, I mean, I didn't really become comfortable in my own skin at JFL until 2009. And they'd actually played an old clip of mine in 2009. It was from 2001, I think. Mm -hmm. 
And a reviewer at one point said that I was like Stephen Leacock on Benzedrine because Jesus, I was just this ball of untapped energy that was just a kinetically charged atom. And I talked too fast and I didn't let the beats play, which mm -hmm. is strange because I- You do work fast normally, that. right? Like you're, you're, you're pretty high acting. tempo. Well, yeah. yeah, I do. But, but those roles and pitches of my show, mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I think those who haven't seen me in a long time would be surprised at how much I've slowed down. Mm -hmm. I can still get physical. Uh, uh, thanks to a leave, <laughs> I wanted to call one tour my Red Bull and Robaxaset tour. That's good. <laughs> one. Uh, anyway, I uh, uh, yeah, and then so 2009, uh, I think Hotsi and I were on an all star, uh, an all star show, and uh, oh boy, it was just great to share the stage with him and kill. Oh, yeah, he's but great. before that. I think it was 2001, my first one. Rickles was the host of my gala. Rickles was the host. And uh, I went out, I was doing this, uh, this bit about camping's fun in the daytime, but as soon as the sun goes down, everything that eats meat wakes up. I was safe. Oh, I was camped beside some Germans. God bless them, but their accent will scare anything. And they were only trying to set the tent up. Anyway, I went a little more <laughs> Hitler on the thing. Anyway, I come backstage and Lauren Perlmuter there, he says, Rickles was killing himself. And Rickles comes up to me. He goes, kid, that was a great set. I'm just absolutely at a loss for words, right? Yeah. Kid, that was a great set. He's like, he's got a head. He had a head like the king of the turtles, right? He looked like a little turtle. Yeah. No neck. Set. He had no, no neck. neck. No neck. That was a great set. And uh, I said, well, thank you. thank you, Mr. Rickles. Thank you. He said, I didn't get my first break in show business until I was 40 years old. How old are you? I said, 42. He slapped my face and said, you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. So I went to his dressing room and I got his <laughs> autograph on my JFL poster. I still have it. And he wrote, funny is as funny does and you are. Oh, wow. And six months later... I was stuck in a primal blizzard, a Yeti wouldn't wander, trying to get to Prince George in Northern BC for a gig when logging trucks were plowing out of the blizzard on my side of the road, threatening to bounce me into the afterlife. <laughs> and that was, that, was, that was a charge for the soul battery, a mm. boost for the yeah. battery of the soul. And yeah. that's the stuff you tuck away, you know? That's the... That's the stuff, because you know we don't get raises. No, like you do for a good job and other jobs, right? I mean, you know, it, it's it's a lifelong learning curve. Yeah, it's living on and, living on uh, those it's moments. It's a victory in baby steps and embrace the small victories. Yeah, that's what's wonderful about Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You can continue to work. I mean, there's frustrations in the business, no matter where you're where you're pitching. You know, they say in Los Angeles, there's no such thing as a bad meeting. Is there? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know, man. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I just, um, yeah, I, uh, 
I just love the work though, the live work. I, I just love it. I mean, yeah. I got, I'm looking at 17 dates across the prairie starting November 17th. So I'll be hitting some minus 40 days. You just yeah. told me there's already a blizzard in Canada. There's already a blizzard. Yeah, already starting. So Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> a little I, early. I was out there once about 10 years ago. I'm not shitting you, man. It was minus 40 a week after Halloween. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was taking CAA seven hours to boost your car if it stalled on the highway. I remember thinking... Fuck with my metabolism, I couldn't take it, man. <laughs> I'd be going fucking cannibal. Yeah, seven hours enough. Faster yeah. than a down push pilot on a comatose nurse. I had to get that joke in. <laughs> it's so rare, you know. I mean, uh, you can't even do a good bush pilot eating a nurse joke anymore. No, no, well, the times have changed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you, you, you recently, well, last year you released your book, uh, all over, all over the map. Yeah. Um, th that's the short title. The long title is, uh, all over the map rambles and ruminations from the Canadian road. Um, yeah. it, it's out on paperback now and you were nominated for the Stephen Leacock, uh, medal, uh, this year, I believe Stephen Leacock also, uh, an inductee, probably a yeah. long overdue inductee in the hall of fame. If anybody on the list deserves oh, this, shit, it's, eh? it's he the, invented it he invented the genre. So yeah. Uh, that must have been an honor to, just to be nominated, you know, and oh, attached yeah, to his absolutely. name. Absolutely. I mean, there were yeah. seventy entries, right? And right. To be in the to be in the ten uh, nominees, that was, uh, yeah, that was that was quite an honor. Mm -hmm. And uh, writing the book uh, helped me through COVID. It was a light at the end of the COVID tunnel. Right. I'd, yeah. Uh, I had uh, in the days before social media became so pernicious and ubiquitous in our lives and. I, I kept uh, moleskins diligently on my tours and I would meet people. And so really the, the, they would start talking to me, you know, and it was in the days really before I had any kind of TV recognition and stuff. I just start to, I mean, they recognized my voice from the radio or something that I did, or maybe mm -hmm. a commercial or something and saw me coming out there to do my show and things. And, so I, they would tell me about their lives and I wrote it down and uh, they were really the soul note that I heard singing in the big wide open. They were the, they were the adhesive to um, a long road traveled and mm. this, this, this wonderful connection to people in place, whether it was an indigenous kid and Prince Albert uh, over a coffee at a Safeway, the Starbucks and Prince Albert telling me about the racism he endured growing up um, or uh, a waitress who moved from Inverness, Cape Breton when she had to take care of her seven siblings after her parents died in a car crash and she brought them out one at a time, how Alberta was the land of opportunity and the second chance. Mm -hmm. uh, a Newfoundland grandmother flying to Deer Lake with me who told me all about the wood that her husband chopped in the backyard before he died. Now, every time she puts a couple of logs on the stove in the kitchen and warms up, it's like his arms is around her. And that was the heartline hum. But there's lots of funny stuff in the book too, you know, because I knew people would be picking it up to, to laugh. And so there's stories about family 
there's a little bit of stuff that I lifted from my act and I'm kind of pissed off. And now that I did it, yeah. uh, but, uh, I, uh, I wrote about my uncle who was, uh, my Cape Breton uncle. I was born on the coal town road in Glace Bay a place that got hit really hard by the hurricane. Mm. And we yeah. just did a benefit there actually uh, a few days ago on Sunday night for uh, the hurricane victims. And this is, goes to show how fast Maritimers come out to help their own. 1,100-seat theater. We sold out in less than 48 hours and raised 102000 bucks. Amazing. That's awesome. Amazing. Barry yeah. McNeils were on, Men of the Deeps, Jimmy Rankin, uh, Bat McDonald, Maynard Morrison, and this great young comedian, an indigenous comedian uh, from Eskasoni. His name was Clifton uh, Cremo. Clifton okay. Cremo. And he was nervous going out. And holy jumpins. Didn't he get a standing ovation? Amazing. He followed Men of the Deeps. And I, uh, I, 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 brought, I was emceeing. I brought him back out. I said, hey, man, enjoy the love, bro. Because you know very well that a night like that, when you're starting out, is the fuel for the furnace of longevity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the thing that it's, it's soul collateral. It's, it, it, it moves you forward. And uh, anyway, um, um, what are I talking about? Cape Breton, born there. See, this is what happens. <laughs> it's the ADHD too, man. <laughs> I, uh, I'm all about the road and the work, the live work. Everything that comes from that is a bonus. Mm -hmm. But it's got to start out there. It's got to start uh, on the road. Right. And so the book tried to talk about those things, you know, and also talked about foundational stuff like family. My uncle was homeless in Toronto when he was drinking in the late 60s, early 70s, guy I'm named after. And uh, I wrote about him, how he, you know, found his sobriety and fought for it over the years. So I did all those, I put all those things in the book and I put stories about Los Angeles in there and some political stuff and really interested in the natural world. And uh, I took my kid kayak into the Northwest Territories when she was 15. And there's a story about that. And this more or less halfway house we were stuck in, in the middle of the tundra where the Quonset huts were sinking into the permafrost. <laughs> and the guy that owned the place was this cyclopean eyed Viking who had his supper smeared over his shirt that he stole from the wolves. I'm sure it was, it was a, a, a just a, a, but I, you know, I went on a caribou hunt with an indigenous guy and, you know, he was a cinematographer and then he was a junkie and then he cleaned up and then he went back to his res with his wife and he helps kids. So it was windows on these worlds mm -hmm. other than just an exclusive comedic one. Right. That I wanted to, uh, share with the country and I wanted to I wanted to write a love letter to a nation without sounding maudlin and all hallmarky about this but I wanted to I wanted to celebrate the adventure that I had by following my bliss across the big wide open instead of chasing it again south of the border mm, yeah it's not to say you know i mean you watch a show like i mean 
when they do it well in America, they do it exceptionally well when it comes to comedy. I think it's the only thing I envy about them these days. And, uh, but it, it, it worked here. And I, I, it was my way of, of giving thanks uh, to, um, to the country that, you know, fed me and mine and helped me make a living. I love your I love your passion for Canada. I share I share that with you. I've I've one more quick question that I that I skipped over, and that is um, at some point I, I was reading that you got some um, advice from from the great Lauren Michaels. C- can you share what that advice was? <laughs> well, it might not be. <laughs> I got great advice from Billy Conley. The advice I got from Lauren Michaels was very interesting. Well, okay. <laughs> okay, so so I give Mike his star on the Walk of Fame in 2003. I had the anchor spot, wrote a great speech, did a great job. And then we had the big party afterwards. Lorne Michaels calls me over and I have a chat with him for 15 minutes. And so I figure, boy, I'm, and I said, well, look, I, I want to come down. I want to, I'd like to be, you know, can I come down? We have a meeting. Absolutely. Yeah. So I uh, <laughs> I sent down my first special, um, The Road Between My Ears. We'd already shot it then, and it was on DVD. And I go down, and uh, I hop and meet him, and in he comes. And it's, <laughs> come on, man, it's Dr. Evil. Everybody knows it. Yeah, right? yeah. So I actually, I spoke, the- I spoke with him a month ago. So, and I, and I got that vibe. Yeah, the Dr. Evil's perfect. <laughs> but he did say something to me. He said, uh, uh, he said, you're, you're going to waste your time in America. Mm. Here's what he said. They won't get you. Uh, they're enamored with the salacious here. It's a visual culture. A lot of Canadians make this mistake when they come here. They don't realize it's a visual culture and they think they have the same literary reference that we have Mm. because our education system is better. This was years ago before we realized that the rise of Donald Trump had a lot to do with the lack of critical thought because the public education system has gone to hell in a handcart there. Right, yeah. But then he says to me, He says, uh, I'd concentrate on radio if I were you. <laughs> so concentrate on radio if I were you. Well, Lauren, you're not right all the time. So, you know, um, nine one-hour specials later and, and five years of my series on TV, you're not always, always right. But I think he would be pleasantly pleased because uh, it sitting down talking to him uh he seemed authentic to me he didn't mm. seem like he was bullshitting me it, it, it right. seemed to me like he was just laying it out the way he saw it you know yeah. and uh yeah. yeah i uh he said uh some people come to america and become professional canadians mm. you're the real deal he said yeah i never got anything from it but I got that. And Billy Conley at Just for Laughs, 
uh, I was there and he'd done his show that year. And there was a party afterwards. And he didn't usually go to them, but he was at this. And he looked like the sage wandering pilgrims climbed the mountain for words of wisdom. Stood above everybody, had that long white hair, the custer goatee with a cigar between his teeth. And um, I said to Lynn Harvey, my producer at the time, I said, look, I gotta, I gotta talk to Bill. I gotta tell him that the only reason I'm here is because of him. I saw his first HBO special in California a month into what would be an 11 month run of unemployment, a soul sucking dirge after the series was canceled, my talk show, which is what it was called, mm -hmm. and endless auditions and rejections and not landing anything. And I watched Billy Conley's HBO special and it was electric. He was flying all over the stage. It was, it was the song of his Tartan tribe and it spoke to me and I saw him there. I said, Billy, and my daughter was little at the time. It's pretty emotional to remember back to when your kids were little and you were broke and you had her in a knapsack walking the, you know, the hiking trails at Topanga Canyon when the eucalyptus was, uh, it was just saving grace those early days of abject unemployment and ever mounting debt but i saw billy conley uh wow oh man i gotta i have to i i just have to learn to do this mm. and i'd always been funny at in the kitchen and classroom people right. had always told me growing up i should be a comedian when i first went to toronto i didn't dig the energy at the yucks in 1980 i found it too competitive combative a little too dark so that's right. why i went to second city and i enjoyed those days in the touring company and um not so much my main stage tenure but i hung in there wrote three shows learned a lot but billy conley i said billy uh and i had three specials under my belt at the time I said, Billy, I said, uh, how did a Glaswegian welder become an international sensation? And he pulled a cigar from his teeth and there was fire in his eyes. And he said, that's a question about fame. Fuck fame. <laughs> Fuck it. Sing your song. Just sing your song. Song ever since. And I think yeah. that was really a confirmation and an affirmation that singing my song here is just as valid as singing it anywhere else. 2,000 people in a sold-out Windspear Center on a minus 30 night in Edmonton laughing sounds exactly the same as 2,000 people in Vegas when it's hot. And do you and think that there's any less validity in a satiric point of view being delivered for an appreciative Canadian audience and an American one. And I mean, we have plenty of time to talk more about what Canadians will accept from their own versus what they're willing to accept from outsiders. Thanks a lot, Ron. Uh, like I said, 
before. I'm, I'm a huge fan of you. Oh, thank uh, you. A, a big fan. People are still talking about your show here in Brockville. And, and, <laughs> and I think I the main thing is Canadians in small towns like the one I live in are appreciative when, when somebody of your stature and, and quality decides to, to come to a town like us and, and entertain us. So um, well, I, I think but that I think that's a little undervalued. People uh, in Toronto aren't more important than people in Brockville. No, no, absolutely. I remember and, I was playing uh, the Rivoli once for a room full of comedy snobs. <laughs> about halfway through and I said, you suck. I want to be back in Sudbury. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I right? think those towns appreciate it. And that's what that's what people like about you because you and you mentioned jerry d people like this that that actually take a risk and go to not a risk but go to these go to these places so uh, oh, yeah. i appreciate that kind of it does yeah um, uh, i think that ryan belleville and his buddies were out west i see that they were posted he's a great comedian ryan yeah outstanding yeah. comedian. yeah I amazing see they were out west and of course pete zetlager and the boys with the snowed in tour and deborah di giovanni jumps on that tour too yeah, no, they're they're great. Yeah, they go everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, great. that's a that's Fabulous. a great one. So, and you know I, what? When I started Spring of My Trap Line twenty five years ago, around the tip of Lake Superior in February, you know, uh, some of the ones would say, "Well, what are you playing Dryden for? What are you playing Fort McMurray for?" <laughs> yeah. Well, for one thing, I made four times what I'll make for playing a weekend at the Laugh Resort. Yeah. And for another thing, yeah. it's a window on another world. I turned yeah. the corner around the tip of Superior in February, my 99 forerunner that year, and it felt like I'd been drop kicked in the solar plexus by this metaphysical boot delivered by one of the group of seven. <laughs> it was wild, man. Yeah. I was in a Lauren Harris painting. It's like, whoa, what's this? <laughs> and I thought, this is it. This is where the soul note singing for me. And uh, it became the road between my ears. It all matters. It, it, it all matters. And, uh, I uh, I love playing Brockville. So we'll there have a go. plank when I'm playing there next year. I would love that. So I appreciate it. Thank, and thanks congratulations again, on your victory at JFL. That's no small Thank piece, you. bro. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. No. The stroke we're... if they give it to you. Yeah. No, well, not the heart I mean... attack. Not the stroke. Stroke. But yeah. You know, yeah. 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 When they yeah, no. your show and you're at the helm, man, it's a good feeling. It is the biggest hurry up and wait that I've ever uh, I've ever been involved in, but I'm I'm getting used to it now. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. And, uh, yeah. When I talk to you next, maybe your hair will be white like mine. So it's going. Go. I, I had it well, but it's <laughs> get it's out of here. Well. You're laughing, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. You. Okay, Cheers. Buddy. All the best. Okay, bye. Okay, bye bye. There it is, the legend, Ron James. That was that was a ton of fun. Don't forget his book is out now. It is all over the map: rambles and ruminations from the Canadian road um i have my copy i can't wait to read it ron james so great and thanks to sean carson as well don't forget sean carson the comedy bar his off the rails tapings december 18th a 7 p.m a 9 p.m show absolutely loaded lineup rebecca reeds chris robinson chris lock like it's going to be an unbelievable show tv taping you definitely don't want to miss it comedy bar 2800 danforth avenue in toronto that's it for us. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating. Uh, lots more episodes to come. Lots more news, info, all year long. Even though the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame just did an induction, we're already starting to gear up for next year's induction. And don't forget, become a lifetime member of the Hall just for $25 on our website, CanadianComedyHall.com. Follow us on all the social medias, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere. For the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast, I'm Chad Noonan.